Welcome to GLAD, your spatial fix for geography, life, and data. This podcast is brought to you by the Science of Cities and Regions program at the Alan Turing Institute. I'm Danny Rivas Bell, your host today, and I'm here at our studios in the British Library with Rachel. Hello. And Levi. Hiya. We do something a little different every time, but there's always a healthy dose of all things geography, life, geography life, and data. And today we're talking about 15 minute cities and controversial topic among all the possible ones. There's several reasons why we picked 15 minute cities, but I think it intersects and touches with almost all the interest that we have at the, at the Science of Cities and Regions, but also at the, at the GLAD podcast. There's a, a fair dose of, well, obviously cities, but I, we think data have a lot to say about 15 minute cities or, or other kinds of cities. And we'll talk about that later. And there's also a lot of interest, not only from, from us and there's, I should say there's not a lot of topics that we're heavily interested in that are as popular today as probably 15-minute cities. So with that as a form of introduction, let's move into the, the actual episode. And let's start with a bit of a contextualization or introduction to the to the term. What is this idea of 15-minute cities? And I'm going to give you my take, and please, Levi and, and Rachel, jump in as I miss things or mischaracterize things, or you already start disagreeing. Uh, I should give the, the heads up that there'll probably be one or two hot takes throughout the podcast, so uh, the sooner they start coming in, the, the better. The idea of 15-minute cities is started at some point, or the term, I should say, it started at some point in the mid-2010s. It's attributed to a French professor and architect, Carlos Moreno de Sorbonne in Paris. It's been credited by reigniting this idea of, of more compact, small human scale, as some people would say, uh, city design that's permeated throughout many cities around the world. Probably the most famous one is the reinvention of Paris. Uh, in the la in the late 2010s, but there's been others that that have been also having their own dose of 15-minute city. The core idea is relatively simple: is is that everyone who lives in cities shouldn't need to do more than 15 minutes of active travel, hence the name, so either walking or biking, to access all the services and amenities that they live on a that they require on a daily basis. These would be things like schools, hospitals but also amenities, groceries, shops, um, and crucially, and this might be a bit more controversial, maybe later, your job location, your workplace. And there's a lot more that we could say. We'll link on the on the episode notes to there's a key paper that Carlos Moreno put out in, in 21, where they spell out the details of the of, of their idea of 15-minute cities. But there's a lot of variations. The core idea is that one, that there's cities should be planned, designed, and built in ways that people don't have to rely on cars for their everyday activities. And what everyday and what activities means may, may vary around the margins, but that's that's the whole idea. Just as a way of providing a little bit of context and, and why it became big, I said, I said already this term was coined in, in France and it was picked up by the mayor of Paris who made it one of their core tenets for their vision for what Paris should look like. And this coincided also with the pandemic and, and with a few other things that were aligned with Paris becoming actually a lot more 15 minutes in many respects. And, and you know whether you agree with some of the ideas or not, there is true that the term of 15 minutes city has driven a lot of policy lately in, in some cities. At the same time, and I think 
as almost any urbanist will probably agree, the idea of 15-minute city, maybe not the term, is, is nothing new. It's not something that that appeared in, in the 2010s or even in the 21st century. The idea that cities should be uh, compact and that should not rely on, on technologies that are perhaps not the most sustainable is, is something that's been around most of urban planning in if not the majority of urban planning for for a really long time and you can trace the the lineage of this idea you can go back a, a decade or two to new urbanism in the us but you can then also go a bit further back in time to we're talking earlier of this idea in the in the uk of garden cities and you can go all the way back to things like chris Taller and and laws and the um these and ideas about hierarchies of cities and how functions and this is i think another core idea or a core concept concept how function or how services and activities that happen in cities should be distributed over space which is also what makes it interesting i think for people like like us so maybe this is enough of me talking as a way of introduction what have i missed or what are the points on the concept that for you rachel and levi you think you like or or dislike about maybe let's let's stick to like <laughs> at least uh, of the fifteen minutes I did that I haven't mentioned yet. Who well, wants to jump in, Levi? Sure, yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting how fifteen minute cities put such a strong focus on the kind of area around where you live, right? And as someone who's fascinated and interested in neighborhoods, mm. this really brings neighborhoods really strongly back to the fore in like a planning centric way. It feels like a lot of the kind of thinking and uh, scholarship on on neighborhoods, at least uh, for, I'd say for 20, 30 years uh, up until this moment, had focused them on more like emergent kind of social phenomena, things that arise out of social relations and interact a little bit with the built environment. But this really kind of puts them again at a, at a, at a forward planning kind of position where they become real kind of important tools and ways that, that city governments think about you know, what are our targets for making a city a 15-minute city? How do you know that that these are working in this way? So I, I find that very interesting and at the same time really strongly in tension with this idea of a 15-minute city because one big thing about neighborhoods is that they're different, right? And if you have a 15-minute city and there's anything you need within 15 minutes, you know, do you leave your neighborhood? I don't know. So I find that so fascinating that, that again, at its core, these ideas, when we express them in these in these ways, they they oftentimes come down to these fundamental parts of cities, these fields, right? In a in a mm. Lynch kind of perspective, and I just I still find that fascinating about the concept, and it, I I see it as well at, at, at the core of this. The thing I find kind of interesting about fifteen minute cities is, on the face of it, what is there not to like, <laughs> right? I mean, the idea is that wherever you find yourself, you should be able to fulfill your daily needs nearby. That's it. We can argue about what nearby means, how you're supposed to get to or from the nearby place, um, what the characteristics of the people are. But in general, the idea, like, it's, it's hard to critique it, right? Whether it's your school or your doctor or your library or going to the movies, we should all, all of us, regardless of who we are, have access to these services and amenities. On the other hand, something that I find kind of interesting about this is that when we talk about it, especially from a geography or planning perspective, we tend to really focus on the spatial components, right? That, the, that a lot of this has to do with the tyranny of the automobile, but this is spatial, right? It's, it's how far the car allowed you to get over the course of the day 
that sort of stretched, you know, at, at the beginning, it was an opportunity. The car allowed, allowed you to escape. Uh, and then slowly, we start to see the automobiles imposing this sort of larger activity space on us, whether or not we want it. But at the same time, and I'm, I'm thinking this through in, in, in real <laughs> live, time, <laughs> in real time um, at the same time, the other things that were happening, though, were that we were getting a transformation of household structures and time use. So we focus a lot on the spatial, um, and that, I think, makes 15-minute cities seem intuitive and desirable. But if we focus on the temporal a little bit, there are reasons why, there are other reasons why the car became so desirable. And that was because you increasingly had two people working inside of a household. You increasingly were um, starved for time to squeeze in your grocery shopping, getting kids to and from school, um, fulfilling all of those other little activities that we all need to do to make our lives complete, aside from being at home and aside from being at work. And so it's interesting to sort of think of the 15-minute yeah. city as bringing together the temporal and the spatial. And the spatial yeah. part is compelling to me. The temporal piece, I wonder, it assumes a lot. I mean, for one thing, it assumes yeah. that, um, yeah, that, the, that our time use would align with 15 minutes. Um, and, it, and then there is this sort of bit about, like, self-containment, which... yeah. I guess to play devil's advocate or 15 minutes advocate, uh, yeah, I guess that the point is not that you wouldn't, and this is going to be further into the rest of the episode, but it's not that you wouldn't go, you know, you would have to do it, you would need to find a place where everything is within 15 minutes, but that you have a urban form and a distribution of urban function that is compact enough that allows you that. And if you do have that, then we know, I mean, this is also nothing new. We can put things in place. It's called public transit that would allow you to move around the bigger scale without having to rely on car, without having to rely on 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 non-sustainable transit. So in, in some ways, I don't think, well, it's how much, it's how, how strict you take the 15 minute, I think. To me, it's what it implies, which is, is a city that's more compact, that is, less spread out and hence less re reliant on on car and hence where it makes sense to have collective forms of transport etc sure but when we think of a golden era of transport just to pick on the public transit piece that transition where streetcar for example or bus or even original subways became so desirable was because they were faster than walking and there is there is very there there are places but in general, cars are faster than public transit, no matter how we organize it, because they take you directly from point A to point B. I don't know. I think that really depends on, on urban form, on the structure of city. If you make it so that it's all designed around the car, then yeah, sure, the car is faster because of the whole point of everything designed. But the problem is what you give up on, on that process, right? And I think if you design a city that's not made to make the car fast, but is to make other things also compatible, then I'm not sure the car is the fastest thing. And I'm not sure it should be the fastest thing. I wonder if it's about that kind of endogeneity, right? Like an individual can decide to go to a bunch of different places with a car and they're kind of in control of those routing decisions and, and that kind of thing. But in a, in a more sort of stronger top-down planned system, you can indeed end up with urban forums that where public transit is more efficient for nearly any variety of journey. 
And I think there's an interesting tension, again, speaking of the temporality, that in some cities and in some systems, you know, the car is obviously easier to use, right? Even if it's maybe a little bit slower, it's still easier, right? And I think there's an interesting point about 15-minute cities encouraging a particular kind of density. And that, I think, requires us to think again about not only like the way that we conceptualize the ease of moving around the city, but then also like lifestyles, right? And that I think gets to the demographic point as well. Does this have any kind of change to the types of people that live in cities and the styles of lives they lead? I, I like this idea of thinking about the process of urbanization, because it is certainly true that lots of people continue to want to live in cities, but our era of global growth is slowing or coming to a halt. So to some extent, for a lot of cities, we're already at peak density, right? I mean, there are the exceptions. There are the cities where people continue to want to be. But for a lot of cities, we're probably already looking, to be honest, at like what the maximum population is going to be. And I think that urban form, to a large extent, is set. We don't reinvent Ooh. urban form. That's a, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, Spicy take. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so, I, roll, so yeah. I think, so when I think about 15 minute cities, and maybe this is the piece where, this is where the skeptic in me sort of raises her head is, we're talking about cities as they are now, the actually existing city and how to implement 15 minute thresholds for the kinds of people who already live in these places and the street networks that we already have. So that that leaves the only thing we can really control, which is the distribution of services and amenities and public transport. Uh, but, but you know, we're talking about 15-minute cities, it's walking and biking, right? Which is also very particular to certain demographics of people, uh, which we're going to have fewer and fewer of <laughs> in the coming decades. So there are a lot of assumptions, I think, that are sort of wired into this 15-minute city. If we were reinventing ourselves completely, like if we were China over the last 20 years, and I would say, oh my God, this 15-minute minute concept, this is what we need because we're going to design like 50 new cities of a million people or more, and this is what these cities need to look like and what the neighborhoods need to look like inside of them. That's not where we are right now well okay so t two points on that um the first one is that it, it depends where you focus geographically i think the west has probably built most of the cities it'll require for a while already and that's true that's definitely not true of the world on average i think most of the cities don't exist yet definitely in africa and, and asia and the other one th this point about cities don't reinvent themselves i mean I live in Liverpool. 20 years ago, the city centre was very, very different. Density was very, very different. And the urban form was very, very different than it is today. But your streets were still where they were. In fact, I bet your main roads are roads that Romans used. True, but that doesn't make... Like, you could build a suburban city on that city centre, which actually was done in the 80s, and you could build a 15-minute city, which is what I, I would argue we have today, on the same skeleton. Mm. So I think... This idea of, and I've got it. I've got it from a lot of people. I was going to say who don't think a lot about cities that they don't reinvent themselves. I think is because they go at a slightly, only slightly slower pace than humans. It's harder to realize, but they change a, a whole lot. And I think this sort of gets me because if we don't realize that the ability that we have to change cities actually will go away because we'll think, well, what's the point if they don't change? But they actually do change a lot. Levi's I mean, that's, well, very, uh, that's where I think it's so interesting that it's it's both the 15-minute the city 
idea is is intrinsically about a lifestyle. It's not just about mm. a 15-minute city, but it's, it's it's a something that I've been working with with a colleague at Bristol. It's a 15-minute urbanity. It's a way mm. of being urban in addition to a physical investment in built environment infrastructure. The same roads, the same even kind of people per square kilometer can be inhabited very differently temporally and and you know as a way of life. If you think of you know, functional separation of different, you know, re districts of cities and having to commute between those, that's not really a 15-minute city plan. But a 15-minute city plan might try and then functionally integrate areas where everything you need might be closer than putting them all in different districts of the city. And this is why I think the idea has so much resonance with some of the past ideas uh, that we were alluding to before, like this like new urbanism, right? This mixed use concept. And that's intrinsically, I think, required. We have to think of the new urbanity and not just the new city. But when I think about urban form, I mean, buildings evolve over time and they should, right? We should get that transition. Uh, but street networks are pretty stable in a lot of places. And if we're thinking about 15-minute cities from an environmental perspective, then the constant sort of evolution of what those structures are in places probably does need to slow. We can't be building and then tearing down and building and then tearing down because that's a, it's, it's a huge, huge amount of energy that goes into those things. That is a minor, minor point. The thing I did actually like my, I was thinking, oh, I don't know if I agree. I think actually most of our cities are built. I think that we are still operating very much in a 20th century mindset in terms of population growth. Mm. Uh, and I think that we are daily discovering that growth has slowed everywhere in the world. There are, there are not many places in the world that are still growing naturally, which means we will still get urbanization because we're still going to get movement to cities. Mm. Um, but I think, and if you look at China, China is actually a really good example. I, I, my prediction, my 15 minute I'll hot take, take number so, two. Yeah, <laughs> would be that in 50 or a hundred years that a lot of those cities will be empty. Ooh. I we'll think, check in. I think that this Season is. Season 100 of the Glad <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I think that this is really interesting because from, from where I've seen the 15 minute city idea kind of rising is in consonance with and oftentimes in the same intellectual circles as some of these ideas about degrowth as a strategy for environmentalism that that somehow you know we cannot be doing so much as we are doing that that's simply fundamentally unsustainable from a material angle and there are other environmentalists that suggest that they sometimes call them abundance environmentalists that through technology and improvement and processes we can have more too Right? And I think there's a fundamental tension in the modern environmentalist movement between those two things. And I think the 15-minute city concept is not at all going to break that tie. It has gained popularity, I think, because a lot of people are, are talking about these ideas. You know, how many more cities do we need? But then also I think people are saying, well, you know, as you say, right, you reshaping and continually reshaping, follow, following these planning trends and fashions, that's also not sustainable, right? So even if you have a city and you remake it again and again, you need to start thinking about different ways of living in those cities. I was going to say, because I think we're slightly moving into the counter-arguments or, or the, the bits that, you know, as proper academics, the criticisms of 15-minute cities. One more thing I wanted to say that I do think the term deserves credit is, well, two things, one more popular, the other one more, um, maybe more technical. The popular one is that it's really captured the imagination. I mean, all the planner and urbanists that are saying we we knew this forever, you did, but most of people had never thought about these topics. And I think the term of fifteen minutes it has sort of put it on the 
on the radar for a much wider sense of the population. I think that's it's like good pop songs. Everyone loves to criticize them for being simple, but it's really hard to do it, I think. And then the more technical point that I think is useful, which I think you alluded, Levi, is implicitly, so this is not as obvious, but at least to me, it implies a slightly more sophisticated view that goes beyond density. I mean, all of social science and most urbanists have thought about cities and, you know, all you really need to care about is densities and high densities and low density. And it's useful, but it's, it has its limits. And I think the point of 15-minute cities, what it basically says, is you could have the same density on two places and they could be very, very different. They could provide very different experiences. And and actually, we should focus on the ones that we want, not on, on just the density. And I think this is this is an interesting point. Any more pluses before we move on? Well, I think it captures a moment of optimism. Yes. And I think that that's nice to have... And that might be one reason that it sort of speaks to the speaks to the positive in the zeitgeist, right? That that what we we love the idea of being able to create a better world, and so this speaks yeah. to that. And it, it captures that at a time where optimism is not particularly <laughs> abundant. I would say everywhere, yeah. anywhere else. I mean, the other interesting thing that you sort of touched on in the introduction is that it might just be that the term captures the it, it captures the the imagination but we've been talking about these things for a long time and we can talk about new urbanism but even like i mean how it was 20 years now that we're talking about walkability walkability scores which mm -hmm, sort of mm -hmm. ties into thinking about sort of the data component of this but walkability to a large extent was just trying to like give yeah. us a measurement that gets at uh whether or not minutes. you're in a 15 minute place <laughs> right and so I think this is the product of, of yeah. and, and so that I think is a plus. It's nice to see sort of this culmination from lots of different avenues of thinking to say, okay, how would we like our neighborhoods and our cities to look? And then maybe, you know, the bigger challenge is sort of how do we, how do we get there then? Because it makes us more attractive at a cocktail party. I think it's easier <laughs> to say I do 15 minute cities than I look at walkability in urban <laughs> environments. <laughs> Okay, so as proper academics, I said there, there's, you know, there's all the positives, and those are great, but that's not what we like in academia. We like to criticize, and th there's been plenty. I think, like any popular term, that there's people who like it and people who, who don't. Levi, do you want to kick us off on, on some of these main counter arguments? Well, I mean, we've been talking about quite a few of them as we go, but I, I think the the most clear one and the most obvious one that we've been discussing is this issue of density, right? That uh, some people, such as you know uh, Ed Glazer, is a, a urban economist who makes this point, um, that you know a fifteen minute city isn't really that big of a city at all, right? That that, that you you can't have this like power of agglomeration and getting a lot of people together without somehow having these kinds of atemporalities, right? You don't have everything close to you in fifteen minutes if you have a what you might call like a monumental downtown where everybody has meeting space and things like this. Stuff gets squeezed out. There's not enough space to put all of the amenities that you might need in those kinds of agglomerations. And it, as someone like Glazer might argue, might not even be an economically efficient use of that space. If it's valuable, people will build it up, make it dense, and some kinds of land uses and services will get squeezed out of that. Now, I'm not sure I buy that argument because I think that there are different ways of imagining living in cities, but that's definitely one of the, one mm. of the classic ones that, that you see around and then, of course, there are also other angles as well. Yeah, I, I think that I, to a certain extent, 15-minute cities are a little bit retrograde, right? 
Hot if, pick number, number yeah, three. I'm on a roll. But if you spend time in any East Coast city in the U.S., Paris, where I was this weekend, every, in New York, everyone will say these are cities of cities of villages, right? What they mean is these are cities which are which consist of 15-minute neighborhoods or used to. And there's this idealized picture that emerges of people being able to do all their shopping on one street, of knowing who all of your neighbors are, of kids walking to school and feeling protected by sort of, you know, a, a local community. And that all sounds nice, but we left it. And I think there were lots of reasons why they maybe weren't desirable in the first place. But I think I think my critique in thinking that it's retrograde is that there is there is a little bit of a thread in this of wanting to get back to some idyllic past mm. that we once had. And part of me agrees with that. Part of me really likes the idea of having all of these things, which I think are indubitably positive. But we left them behind for a reason. And I think the argument that is usually made is that we didn't choose to leave these things behind. But I think actually, to some extent, we did, right? That there is an insularity that comes from only really interacting in your local space that is protective, but also stultifying. And that what we really want is that engagement and that movement. And so it hasn't been an explicit critique. I don't think of 15-minute cities, this idea that we're really just asking to live in our own bubbles. But that's exactly what we are to a certain extent saying, that we should have the option to stay in a bubble if we want to stay in a bubble. I see that as a pretty big potential critique of 50 minutes. Yeah, since. and would totally have impact on things like social encounters, right? And our experience of diversity in cities, the people that we meet, what we do, the options even that we have, right? You know, if you if you focus on the things that are close to you and you have one coffee shop that's close to you, you know, maybe you don't like that and you got to go further, right? There, there are planning structures that might reduce the extent to which cities are avenues of social dynamism, interaction, and encounter. And those are really important. And so thinking about it in terms of ways to ensure that 15-minute cities don't remove that avenue of encounter is, is challenging, I think. But you can start to see why we get this sort of right-wing reaction to 15-minute cities, right? Your example is excellent of coffee shops, right? So if we consider coffee shops to be an amenity that many people would like to have, what do you do if your local coffee shop stinks? There is an element of being satisfied with the things that you have on offer. And that the idyllic, the positive aspect of this is, of this that is that, if you take services, for example, all kids should have access to very good schools. How can you disagree with that? If all the schools are uniform, if all primary or elementary schools are really good, then everyone should be super happy uh, on the one hand going to their local school because they don't need to go further to get to a better school. Now, all of this leaves aside the issues around demographic sorting, which I think are pretty substantial in making 15-minute cities work. But if you assume a uniform, a uniform distribution of population and population characteristics, then you just need the schools to all be equal. And that is not something that certainly in a North American context holds. So a lot more would have to change than just urban form, public transport. And we're actually talking about changing the culture of places, the uh, the financial underpinnings of how cities are funded, all kinds of, and, and it's all good. So just, just to be clear, it's optimal. It would be lovely if this is the way we did things, but I think we need to be sort of realistic about sort of who wins in a 15-minute city framework and who potentially loses in a 15-minute city framework. Yeah. I think to me, most of the disadvantages of 15-minute cities start arising or start 
popular when you take it to either to the extreme or too explicitly. And my view is that in general, we're really not so not there that it, it's, it seems like the right direction of travel. And I think we were joking before, it's a little bit like worrying about overpopulation in Mars is something that might be a problem at some point, but it really isn't. And I think giving people the option of having things closed doesn't mean that you're binding them to go there. Yeah. Sure, but let's go back to schools because schools and, and desegregation in North American context are an excellent example of where we got cross busing and where we maximized distance traveled and lost neighborhood mm. schools. We lost those neighborhood schools for really important reasons, right? We lost them because we had white schools and we had black schools and never the twain would meet. And in order to and, and when we tried it voluntarily, we didn't get desegregation, right? And so we had to impose it and we had to impose it by taking kids from one neighborhood and busing them across town and taking kids from another neighborhood and busing those kids across town all to achieve something that we thought was really important. Now we can argue about whether having whether that goal of mixed schools was in and of, in and of itself the right way to achieve the aim that we wanted, but there are reasons why we've ended up in the situation that for to a large extent. And this 15-minute city dis discourse largely I think assumes all the negative aspects of automobiles in the latter half of the 20th century. But I suppose the point that I wanted to make without really being an expert in this area, so I'm feeling a little bit shaky, is that there were reasons why we embraced the automobile in the first place. There are reasons why women wanted to get out of the home and therefore not have to shop in their local grocery store anymore. Yeah. There are reasons why we started busing children across cities. Um, and so now to think about moving, you know, to think about evolving once again, that's great. I, I think my point would be that those reasons were on the under the circumstances where the the negative aspect of aspects of everyone driving their car weren't fully internalized. We didn't re I mean we realized, but maybe we didn't rationally realize that that would create congestion, that that would create commute, and we definitely didn't care that it would emit CO two. And I think to me the important part of fifteen minutes it is that it, it's a way of rebalancing of saying we're I, I'm at least I'm not arguing that people shouldn't be moving around the city, otherwise it wouldn't be a city. Is that when they do it, they have a good enough reason to do it despite all the costs that come with having to move with a mode of transport that is non sustainable, that is that is having that extra social cost that is hard to internalize otherwise. Yeah, I think that this is this is an interesting angle to think about because, you know, when you when you have cities that are very automobile oriented, you do get some really interesting kinds of agglomeration economies. For instance, you know, the 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 popping up of an Asian supermarket in a in a large city, but one where the Asian population might be distributed, right? Pops up and that becomes a nucleus for a community, right? And it's not that they all live in the area around that one amenity, that one cultural amenity, but rather that that becomes a site of cultural production and reproduction for those people that are distributed across the city, right? So there may be ways in which, and I, I totally, uh, totally agree with the busing example as well as someone who, who went through that system. I just, I, I wonder, you get what you pay for, right? The, the government, insofar as we kind of try and encourage 15-minute cities, we need to be aware of the unintended effects sometimes of these things and maybe, you know, at least be aware of how they might impact them. And I totally think that it, it, it can possibly uh, disincentivize these kinds of, uh, 
you know, dispersed nucleuses of uh, uh, possible interaction. Well, it sounds like this could be a topic for an entire GLAD podcast episode, this idea, which I firmly believe in, that we might just be living in times that are more spatially constrained in the sense that I think we like the idea of being anchored in place. We like the idea of um, having a neighborhood and not having to leave unless we want to, which is sort of what you're saying, Danny. But I don't know, if a 15-minute neighborhood is successful, maybe you would never really want to leave. You would have to want something so badly that you'd be willing to incur all of these costs. And I think we like the idea that you wouldn't have to incur those costs. But, But this, especially... I mean, the fact that this is emerging now when we live in times of decreased mobility and increased discussion about attachment to place does make me feel a little bit like this is yet another another outlet or another form or extension or expression of the times that we're living in, which are much more inwardly yeah. focused. And there are lots of benefits to going out into the world and exchanging ideas. But it, So I think this is a topic that we could definitely explore further. Um, but but something that we, we knew we wanted to talk about in this episode, because this is what we do, is what do we have to add to the conversation? Those of us who are really interested in data and spatial data especially, um, what is it that maybe speaks to us especially right now in terms of 15-minute cities? And I think there's a lot. I think there's a reason why a lot of geographers and spatial data scientists are interested in geographic data scientists <laughs> that's right <laughs> well it does require that we you know wrangle a bunch of data pull it all together just to know what kinds of amenities I, are close by right? yeah i think almost the, the term itself is calling for sort of data-driven definition right you know to know whether you live in a 15-minute city or not it implies that you know where things are, where people are, and how far they are from each other. So I think at, at the very core of the term, there is an, an, a data-driven element. Whether that's the most important part or not, I think maybe that's, that's, that's more for, for discussion. I think something that I was thinking that I find interesting in this area is on the one hand, yes, there is all we can measure 15 minutes cities and so on. But I think two things. One, we can do things at this level at a level of resolution that we couldn't imagine 20 years ago. And in some ways, what I would like to think is that that allows us to get more nuanced thinkings and more nuanced characterization of, of what we would like the 15-minute city to, to be. And perhaps that gets around some of the criticisms. I don't know. I don't think directly, but I think the ability of being able to to measure things at a degree of detail and, and granularity that we couldn't before at least for me, it helps me ask questions that I hadn't thought about at, at, you know, when you enter the term. And it it helps you think through some of these limitations. And I think it also, to me, it helps bring depth to some of these concepts. One of the criticisms is that, you know, this idea of 15-minute cities, there's a 15-minute city for every people, right? Because people walk faster, people walk slower, people don't walk at all because they can't. So we can actually visualize this and we can create representations that make this explicit or that put the focus on, on this idea. And I think that's critical for policymaking because, you know, thinking we were having this off my conversation before, this idea that, well, we could have measured the, the core thing of, of what a 15-minute city is 20, 20 years ago, yes, but that would have sort of eliminated all the interesting parts that make the 15-minute cities more granular and hopefully something that's not going back to 80 years ago, but that is 21st century. 
Yeah, and I think that there are interesting questions that have come up over the over the course of this episode that we know you need data and data science to respond to. So the whole question around urban form and street networks, mm. right? I think this is a big open question. Are there are there um, types and shapes and configurations of streets? Signatures. <laughs> Signatures. Are there? Could there be? Um, and also types of density of buildings. So leaving aside the people, I'm a much more of a people person. But if you just take the urban infrastructure, are there types of urban infrastructure that are conducive to building 15-minute neighborhoods? And are there those where it would be very difficult without raising the entire neighborhood and starting brand new to actually get the configuration that we need? And I think thinking about mixes of services, before the episode, when we were talking about this, you know, how we were going to discuss this, we the subject of of central place theory came up and, you know, this idea that you have different sizes of markets that draw on different types of goods. And for some types of goods, you have a very small market, easily a five or 10 minute neighborhood for toilet paper or milk, whether it's oat or cow, right? But for other things like cinemas or concerts, that catchment area, in order to have the market that you need in order to to make any kind of profit or even break even is going to be a lot larger. So I think there's a whole, almost like a whole new potential for thinking again mm. about how these kinds of markets and goods work, right? So this is like, you know, stuff that's like 100, 100 120 years old now, but I think it's it has increased relevance in a 15 minute city context. And then of course, there's the bit about amenities and people and that we have a much finer grained sense of who is where, when, how they appear to want to spend their time, which is a question all of its own. And then we know how to allocate services uh, and amenities in such a way that different types of people have access to, to the basket of goods that they want to have within that time threshold. For sure. Yeah. And it's, you know, the large amounts of data that we're generating on cities and kind of through creating their digital twins of infrastructure, but then also the, the services and the, the goods that move through them. That's the only way that one can answer these questions truly about which baskets of goods can be satisfied and assess any of these inequalities is with that data, right? So it's it does mean that there's like an opportunity for this idea uh, because of this, it's kind of empirical situation has improved, which, you know, I think that happens for a lot of ideas in social science. Yeah, and I think the, this trend or this this pattern that happens in other in other contexts too, that to me the twentieth century was the century in some ways and maybe this is more controversial than I realized, but it was a century of ideas for social science. There was a lot of richness of ideas. If you think of social networks, if you think of cities, a lot of that were just that. They were ideas. I mean the way that we had the ways we had to test them were Let's just say suboptimal on the record, but you know, which is we had this incredible thing at the intellectual level, and then when we tried to see if that was happening in the world, it was it's like the this meme on the on the internet that there's the head of like it's a lot of detail of a head of a horse. It's like that was the idea, and then you know the the thing sort of degrades, and when you get to the back legs, they're, they're basically like a one year old drawing. And that, that's basically the, the view we have, the empirical view, the, how much we actually know of what is going on. So I think even if a lot of these new data sources don't bring new ideas, which I think they will in time, just the ability to test properly the richness of, of many of the ideas that were put forward la last centuries is, is unprecedented. And I think hopefully, and maybe this is something we can get into later, should 
trickle down or trickle up into into policy and 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 decision making yeah i mean this is a question for the two of you but my 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 counterpoint my devil's advocate point would be do we need to know more i mean yes. is there a point at which we need to know more in order to actually make lives better for people yes I, I think I would say not necessarily. Yeah, I, it's a good it's a good question because I I do think that there are a lot of uh, you know policy based evidence, if you will, uh, that you know people <laughs> looking for postdoc justifications for government policies that they would otherwise enact, right? And so I do think that more data means more convincing arguments from uh, a, a particular point of authority about why the policy that we're going to pursue is good, right? And I think. Sometimes academics are quite complicit in that. Um, uh, so, I, in the other sense, you know, you need the data to be able to present evidence, critiques of those kinds of things. So, I, I, I don't see. I think it, it's it's a challenge because I, <laughs> data is, uh, you know, can is not itself like a force for good, uh, and and there are ways in which increasing amounts of data can be used by any stakeholder in a community to make arguments about. The way that it should, you know, particular policies should proceed. But I think the academic imaginary is that we're all in good faith trying to come to some understanding of how to better design society. And I think 15-minute cities very clearly sees itself in that in that light. But I'm not so sure if, th if that's real. I think we definitely need to know more. There's a lot of areas where we we don't know enough. We just don't know enough about how cities work. That's true. Having said that, though, I think what we also need a lot and possibly proportionally a lot more of is translation of or connection between the bit that we know and the decisions that we make based on, on what we know or, or or not. And I don't think what I think I probably agree with you, Rachel, is knowing more per se doesn't do a whole lot for the real world. I think it there's a missing piece there that that I don't know that is developed enough and that is probably harder not to crack than than knowing more about cities. But I don't think that means that we know everything there is, not there is to know, but everything we need to know about cities. Yeah, I have this sense that we do the analysis because that's the part we can do, and we don't do the big part, which is the actual affecting of change, because that appears to be really, really difficult to do. Well, I think as academics, we do that part because it's also our job. But as a society, I mean, as a society, the reason we're talking about 15-minute cities today is that as a society, we've decided True. we're going to talk about 15-minute yes. cities, right? But I think we know. We know that being able to walk to school is better. We know that active travel is good. We know that uh, having local access to a GP or doctor is a good thing. We, we, a lot of this stuff we know. We know that walking during the day is good for everyone who is able to walk, right? We know that coming in contact with other people is healthy. There's some stuff that we don't really need to know. Yes, but in we, order know to... very, we know very little about how all of those things interact with each other, which is what really cities are about. It's, I mean, marginally, we know a lot about single processes. But the point of knowing about cities is knowing about how those processes come together and interact. And I don't know that we know that walking to to school as a kid is better than being bused to another one if that other one is a better one. And I think those right. are the things where, sure. well, on the one hand, there are political decisions, or there are decisions about values, but also I think there are there's a lot of base science with a big quotation mark that, that we just don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would say one of the big unknowns is how to actually get policy enacted and then evaluate well, it. Yeah. Like, that Fair. is the big mystery. 
The mystery to me is, I mean, I am super curious about cities, maybe slightly to a less degree than you, yes. Danny. I'm more curious about people and people's behaviors and where they are and, and how they spend their days. But I would say the massive mystery to me is like, we, how do we make the world change? If yeah. somebody could just give me the research on that. <laughs> uh, well, and maybe that to sort of circle back maybe to the beginning of the of the episode because we're getting into that that part already. Maybe that is one of the benefits of the fifteen minutes that they are able to maybe not ideally policy. but bring together a lot of strands of research that go back you know a century or more and say. You know, we actually have been looking at this for a long time. We might start trying things, and and to the point that, or to the extent that the term has served to to bring and to enact policies, I think that that's pretty powerful. And now, how you do that, you know, it's very obvious in hindsight now that it this is all out there. Uh, but how you how do you do that? How do you write, write that pop song that it's very obvious in hindsight that it was going to be a big uh, a big tune, but. It, that's a great yeah, way to close. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks very much, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed this time with us on, on 15 Minute Cities, Controversies, Non-Controversies, and, and Hot Takes. Uh, stay with us. This is uh, one episode of the second season already of GLAD, and we'll be coming out with more soon. Until then, stay tuned 